obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah... Welcome back to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit, where we take a look at the issues of the day, both in and out of the church, via teaching and interviews. Our goal here is to stimulate conversations, thoughts, that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. Our prayers that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Welcome back. Welcome back. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about what are we looking for? Everybody in life is looking for something. And the question is, what are you looking for? What do you pray, place your priority on? Jesus said in the sixth chapter of Matthew, he said, uh, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust does corrupt and thieves break through and steal. Rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt nor thieves break into steal. So what are you looking for? What are your priorities? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What do you treasure most? What are you looking for? What do you put premium value on is the big question for today. And we're going to do so. We're going to take a little look look at the life of Abraham, one of the patriarchs of the church. And we're going to see that when God called him, he understood some things, I guess, uh, maybe because of his faith or his relationship with God, because he was called a friend of God, and God later on in, in the, uh, in, throughout the, his relationship with Abraham said, you know, he wasn't going to hide anything from him. So when he gets about the 18th chapter, he's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He kind of speaks to Abraham, says, all right, listen, Abraham, here's what I'm going to go up here and do. And he gives Abraham a chance to intercede for the city. And uh, even though he wasn't able to save the city, he was, I, I'm almost convinced uh, by implication that he saved his, his nephew, uh, Lot, who happened to be living in that godless city. Go figure. So first, Abraham is called to leave his country, his family, and in exchange now, for a new land, for a new place, a new, a new God-given land, and a, and God's going to take His offspring and form a new kind of people on the earth. In terms of that, that that nationally, a new national kind of God's people. 
on the earth. So that was a trade-off. You leave your country and your family. To leave your country is to leave everything you've ever known, your family unit. That includes their religious idols, its worldview, their beliefs, systems, everything, and detach yourself from that particular country in order to form a new one. That's what the church is. The church is the ecclesia, called out from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. We're called to leave behind our nation and our culture in exchange for a nation and a culture that God is developing, the ecclesia. If you look at the coin, the, I like that, uh, you look at the, the quarter, it has a thing on it that says, E pluribus unum, out of the many, one. That's what it means, E pluribus unum, on your quarter. And it's supposed to be referring to the United States, out of the many, one, comes this great big melting pot. Melting pot. Well, the true melting pot is the church. We're the, we're the real E pluribus unum, out of the many, one, where we leave all this behind. But in order for us to come together as a people and to blend and to melt together, we have to leave our country and our family. That means our worldviews, the things that we've been taught and trained at home to believe about other people, the things we've been taught, to believe, the history our people have had with other peoples, all of that gets left behind from everybody. And this is equally across the board, everybody, so that we can form a new nation, so to speak, that, it's, that is yet to be revealed. And this nation, by the way, that we're forming is called the kingdom of God. That's what it comes right down to. It's the kingdom of God. Everybody likes to preach about the kingdom. But one of the kingdom principles, since everybody's into kingdom principles, is the forsaking of our own country and forsaken of our family. That means that it's with all of its histories and everything else. Now we know, practically speaking, I live here in America. I'm still an American citizen. If I have to defend my country, yeah, I'll take up arms in defense of my country. I, I get all that. But the things that are in my country, the things that are in my family, anything in there that hinders my relationship with God, or, or, or violates something, uh, some principle, as we like to say, of the word of God or the kingdom of God, then the kingdom of God supersedes it. That's what we mean by leaving a country. All that stuff gets left behind so that we can truly be kingdom people. Like we like to claim to be, you know, I'm world Christian, you know, and, and I'm a kingdom person. Well, if you're a kingdom person, then all the, the ethnic hatred, the history between us and other ethnicities, all that has to be dealt with and put on the wayside. And that's on all sides, not just one lopsided. It has to be with everybody. And we come together to form a new entity called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And then we begin to walk in that being called out by, by moving away from our nation and our country and our family and all the things our families was doing. And we're called out of that now so we can walk with Christ. And we leave all that behind. I think in one of the hymns Martin Luther wrote, in A Mighty Fortress of Our God, one of the verses says, Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abides still. 
and it is God who must win the battle. So let goods and kindreds go in exchange, the great exchange, somebody called it. And what's the purpose? Why did God call Abraham out? Uh, called and said, promised him to build him into a great nation and a great name. The purpose, the reason why, it wasn't just so Abraham could be blessed and live in, you know, lap of luxury and with all the amenities, even though that in itself is not a crime. But it was, the purpose was to be a global blessing. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we know that global blessing comes in Christ because when Christ, God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him may have life. That was the blessing that Abraham uh, brought to the entire world. And it came through Abraham. Redemption in Christ. I get right to the point. I won't drag it. The whole Bible and everything God did was to bring Christ into the world to save humanity, to save us from ourselves. Now, if you according to Genesis thirteen twelve, Abraham was wealthy. He had livestock, he had silver, and he had gold. So Abraham was not broke. He was a very wealthy man. God blessed him in on all of his business endeavors. He was evidently he was a savvy businessman. Now, did I mention he took his nephew Lot with him? People say, oh, he, God called him alone. He shouldn't have taken Lot. No. Um, you know, sometimes you have those relationships and family. We don't know what Lot's family life was like. But Uncle Abraham obviously was, you know, was was that favorite uncle. And maybe he was better off with Abraham, which actually I'm sure he was. It turned out that he was actually better off with Abraham than had he just stayed where he was at. It turned out pretty cool. But as with any one thing, you take on family, you know, family sometimes, um, you know, can be a handful. But you can choose your friends, but you're stuck with your family, right? You can't run away from them. They're there. But he was wealthy. He was he was very, very wealthy. And if you read a little further down into the story, Lot and Abraham, they separate because God blessed both of them. And they had plenty of cattle and, and everything else was doing good. But then well, Lot's, Lot's cattlemen and Abraham's cattlemen were battling for the best grazing lands of property. And it was creating strife. So Abraham, being wise, calls his nephew Lot in and said, tell you what, there's plenty of land around here. Why in the world are we even having issues with this? I'll tell you what, you choose where you want to go and I'll just take whatever's left over. So Lot obviously took the, the plains of Mamre, which were well watered, and it was and by plains is flat land, easy grazing for cattle and whatever else he had. Um, and it was close to Sodom, close to the city. So good land, good place for to, to, to keep my uh, keep my livestock and everything. And at the same time, I can transport my goods to the city easier than say Abraham can because Abraham's going to be further out now. Sidebar, when as soon as, as as Abraham made that deal with Lot, God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to look around, east, west, north, and south, all this land I'm going to give to you. 
Oh, and by the way, it included Sodom and Gomorrah, and it included Lot's property. So God was telling Abraham, you didn't really lose anything because, um, yeah, it, it, it's all yours anyway. So whoop-de-doo, all right? So that's the sidebar to that. But let, but let's go on. So Lot starts off going close to the city. Eventually, Lot ends up in the city because he's probably making money hand over fist, doing well. So, you know, his wife and his kids want all the amenities, etc. And even though Sodom is a very wicked city, he figures, you know, hey, you know, it's all right. You know, we don't have to do what they do. We, just, we, we can live there. And so he probably gets a nice uh, penthouse or a nice place to, to live. And, um, you know, I guess for its day or its time. And... He ends up in the city, and then later on, um, I don't know if he was an elder in the city or not, but I do know it says that when the angels do show up, he's in, the, he's in, he's at the gate. Now I don't know if that means he was at the gate and he saw them coming, or he was at the gate doing the business of the city. Because one of the things that um, people who were at the gate, when in the Bible, a lot of times that's the seat of government. Right? It says they sat at the gate. They were the gatekeepers who came and who went out. And they decided all the politics and the business of the city right there, the businessmen and the politicians. Oh, but at, at any rate, Lot evidently is an important man. People know him. <clears throat> but again, Lot wasn't very happy living there because it said that the things that people did in the city vexed his, his soul every day. He was like, oh, my gosh, what is this? And, and the Bible does say he was a righteous man. So evidently he adopted the faith of his uncle Abraham. See, that's why it was a good thing Abraham took him. Because he was still been back there with the pagan beliefs. Now Abraham couldn't now Abraham himself, because he was wealthy and rich, gold and silver and cattle, could have got a nice penthouse or built an estate. Got a nice little ranch from like the Ponderosa from, you know, um those of you old like me remember Bonanza and they had the Ponderosa get your little spread, this little ranch with nice dwellings for the servants, and then you get to build your dream home, got the big yard, all the amenities. Yet he chooses to live in a tent. Er, what? You're choosing to live in a tent, Abraham? You, you can do like Lot and go into the city and have all the amenities? What's wrong with you? Why would he do something so silly? Is the $65 million question. Fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last. Amen. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. 
we're not going to expound entirely on that scripture, but just the idea of Abraham, the Bible says, and we read it earlier in the opening scripture, Abraham was looking for a city whose had its foundations and its designer was God. Now, now let's get this, let's, let's get this picture in our head. God already told Abraham, leave your family. He does all that. He goes down to Shinar around that area, which around, which was um, the plains area where Israel now is. And God says, look, east, west, north, and south. He said, all this land will I give you. Now, he's, he's got all this land. God said, this is yours. I'm going to give this to you and to your offspring. So, you know. But Abraham was not satisfied with that because he looked around and he saw the city of man. He looked at Sodom and Gomorrah. And yes, Jerusalem was there, or Salem. It was called Salem then. And they had these uh, priests in there, Melchizedek, who had this priesthood that's that's different from Aaron's priesthood. And and it, Melchizedek is in, is, in, is in the tradition of Christ. Uh, Christ followed the tradition of Melchizedek priesthood. His priesthood was different than that of the uh, than Aaron's priesthood. But that's another subject when we go into the book of Hebrews. But we're looking at this now. It says he, Abraham was looking for a city. So God's, he's looking around. He's like, okay, I see the plains. I see everything here. And you're telling me that my offspring is going to be here. So where's the city that, you know, where's the dwelling place for, for that particular type of city? I know Sodom has all the amenities and everything else. And Salem has all the nice religious thing going there with the priest from Melchizedek. I, I get that. But I don't see the, I'm looking for the one that God is going to build. A city that's designed by God, whose foundations are there are made, are built by God, in which God is, is absolute ruler. That's what Abraham is looking for. He's nobody's fool. He looks at himself inwardly, and he's like, well, I'm not perfect, and I mess up. I look at the city of man, and I'm like, well, they're corruptible. I can be corrupted um, or impacted by sin. And no, I think I'm going to try to find the city that God is going to build. And that's why he stayed in tents, because he loved not the world. He wore this world like a loose garment. His priority had shifted. He left his family, left his home. And the Bible says he was looking for a city whose designer and builder was God. So that means that his priorities had shifted. And he was more concerned about this land or this city or this kingdom that God was building that he wanted to be a part of because he knew it would be righteous and perfect and good, incorruptible. And that's what he was looking for. So he did not attach himself to the world. You get where I'm going with this, saints? We have to wear this world like a loose garment. Yes, we live here. I, I live in a nice home, nice area. There's schools, A1 schools. You know, uh, very extremely low crime, etc. But I wear it like a loose garment. And anytime God can shift my gear and say, I want you to go here or go do this, we'll sell everything and we'll go do what we got to do. And I'm not attached to this. If this, you know, God forbid, you know, I see people in the hurricane and stuff like that. Oh, the house burned down, they're crying because they lost all their possessions. I kind of understand that. That would be painful. I don't want to make light of people's pain. But as a believer, we can't become that attached to uh, possessions so that when, we, if God forbid, through some natural disaster or otherwise, we lose everything, 
that somehow we, we become a basket case. We don't want to do that either. Uh, so we wear it like a loose garment. So thank God for what we have. Thank God for the amenities that we live in, you know, gated community, whether you have um, swimming pool, tennis, like I said, A1 schools, all that. Beautiful, beautiful. That's wonderful. But wear it like a loose garment. Don't get so attached to it that if you happen to lose it, that you, you know, you're going to have a meltdown. Now, Abraham was great. We know that at one point, some kings formed a confederation, came and captured the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, and also captured his nephew Lot. So naturally, Abraham, you know, good family member, good uncle, I'm going after my nephew. And that's what he did. He went, he, he raised, he got his servants together and, and aligned himself with some, a couple other kings, with three other kings. And it was uh, five kings and then Abraham plus three other kings. So he was allegedly outnumbered, but it didn't matter because God was on his side. And remember now, God said, I'll, I'll bless him that bless you and curse him that curses you. So, you know, he had God's backing. And he goes after and he rescues his nephew Lot. And then as he rescues him, the king of Sodom says, you know, take your, take some of the spoils. You know, thank you for rescuing us. Take some of the spoils. But listen, he so did not want to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah's corruption. He went so far as to say, I don't want you to say you made Abraham rich. So I'm not taking anything. Only thing he was concerned about is that the men who went with him, that they would get something and you know get some of the spoils etc etc and they would be blessed for coming with him because he wanted to be a blessing to his men but as far as him personally he said i'm I'm good i'm good i'm good i don't i don't need anything from you and um because again not wanting to deal with the corruption in the city of man i don't want anything from the city of man i don't want to live in the city of man so i'm gonna go more i'm gonna use that as an example of the city of man i don't want to live in the city of man i don't want anything from the city of man I don't want them to say that they made me rich. I want all glory to go to God. You know, I just wanted to get my nephew who's stuck down there in the city of man. And of course, you know, that also may have given Lot a high position in the city because his uncle did save them. And so out of gratitude to Abraham, you know, he might have used a little bit of nepotism here. He might have used his leverage, you know, and, and maybe Abraham didn't save but Lot might have, you know, finagled his way in to say, hey, you know, hey, you know, you should... Uh, you should let me, uh, you know, I can help you all out, you know, we're running the city. And he probably was an able businessman like his father, a good manager. And so they probably let him do it. But it had to vex his soul because he had to see all the iniquity and sin going on all around him. And he's like, ugh, you know, but hey, my wife is happy. Evidently his wife is happy because she liked the amenities, um, et cetera. But Abraham didn't get caught up in that he, he detached himself from that he didn't walk himself into that and that's how we are to do as believers we have to wear this world like a loose garment this world is not our home and i wish we could i could rivet this into your minds that um that we are not citizens of this world we're citizens of the kingdom of God first. Don't throw away your passport. Don't burn it. You're going to need it. You're definitely going to need it. But just keep in mind that we are 
holding a dual citizenship, and one citizenship exceeds the other one. And we live according to, to kingdom principles. And that's what's most important. Very much important. Now, in Ephesians, the second chapter, where it talks about by grace are you saved through faith, not of, not, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. And then he says, what are the implications of this salvation? Because at one time we were, as sinners, we were aliens and strangers to the kingdom of God. But now that we're saved, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 22. So we're citizens of heaven. We're no longer strangers. We're no longer foreigners in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God. We are now legitimate citizens with all these rights, its privileges, everything else that comes along with being a citizen in said kingdom. But look what it says here. We're fellow citizens with the saints and we're members of the household of God. See, that leave your family and your your nation. So you get a new nation and a new household, the household of God. Now we, the church, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Those are foundational ministries and the foundation has already been laid to this house. This is what we're looking for, the city and builder whose maker is God, the house that God is building. That's us, people. I believe there's a dual meaning here. Think I'm wrong, that's all good. That's, uh, that's my position. I believe there's a dual meaning here. Yes, we're looking for the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven. There's a lot of symbolism in that as well. But also, we are, in fact, that house. We were built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ is the chief cornerstone. In whom the whole structure, that's you and me, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We are the temple. The body of Christ is the temple of God itself. You are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's what it says. Build together for a dwelling place for God. God will come and dwell amongst us. We are the temple. Now, how is that possible if we're still sniping at each other and battling each other over past sins? of one group did to another group. Doesn't matter, rich, poor, black, white, Native American, Armenian, whatever, if we're still sniping. And that's on both sides. Not just one side has to repent, both sides. And come together so we can be built into that holy city. Come together as a people. That's what God has called us to do. There's no such thing as Christian nationalism, people. Christian nationalism. We're not going to build a theocracy here on earth. Especially when it's man-made. Because Christian nationalism is going to be, is obviously going to be man-made. We're going to make that up ourselves. Abraham could have said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nationalist. I'm just going to build here. And this, this is my theocracy here. No, 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 no. He was looking for the city. He knew that this... What he had was not the be-all, end-all. So I lived in tents. 
Because with a tent, you can be mobile. I can pick up and move any given time and go where I need to go. So when I find whatever it is God is building, when I find it, I'm right there. We can head on out and go in that direction. What are you looking for? What did you come out to see? Jesus said of John the Baptist, a reed shaken by the wind. What are you coming out to see? What do you think God is building here? What do you think the purpose of the church is? Other than world evangelization. World evangelization and also Romans 8 says, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. We're destined to become, to be formed into the image and the likeness of Christ. And part of that process is the forsaking, forsaking of your religions. We don't need to go back to ancestral worship. We don't need to be worshiping the Norse gods. We don't need to be worshiping worshiping the ancestors or going back to the African religions. We don't need to go back to any of that. And that's, yes, we'll do the podcast on this idea that we came from Kemet. Uh, we'll, we'll deal with that. And so-called Horus and a whole lot of other foolishness that people are throwing out there. Christianity is not a European religion, by the way. Never has, never will be. It doesn't come from there. But God invites everybody into the kingdom, those who receive him. In you, all the nations, all the nations. What God did with Abraham, the intent was to bless all the nations, not just one particular group. And create some sort of divine class system in his citizenship. No. That's not what he came to do. At the foot of the cross is level ground. Not one ethnicity over the other. All on even footing at the foot of the cross. I'm talking about biblical Christianity. I'm going to explain some things later on when I wrap this up. I meant to do it at the beginning, but oh well. I guess I can do it at the end uh, for the epilogue. But we're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Period. That's what we're out here for. Wow. And that's why Abraham lived in tents. And that's why Abraham wore things like a loose garment. And that's why he didn't move into Sodom. He saw all the corruption that was there. Let's look at the Philippians 3.20. Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, verse 20. Very interesting passage of scripture here. Should I get my reader for you? Yeah. I think for this one I'll get the reader. All right. Here we go. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You get that? But our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lower body to be like his glorious body. We're citizens of another kingdom, and we should live as those citizens of said kingdom. Jesus said, if my kingdom is not of this world, if it was, my angels would fight. But now is the hour of the power of darkness. So we live in a world that, yes, I know the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's in the ultimate sense. But right now, in terms of governance, we live in a world that all world governments, the Bible says, lie in the lap of the wicked one, of the, of the devil. Now, overarching that, yes, God is sovereign and God is in control. So he limits how much the devil can do with these nations because if the devil had his way he just launched nukes and that'd be the end of it right we'd all be just hug your loved one and just wait to get roasted and barbecued but yes god puts him he's, he's, a, he's a rabid dog the devil's a rabid dog but he's on a leash god does have him on a leash so i don't want you to think that it's out of control but but the enemy is when it says all the nations lie in the lap of the wicked one the enemy is able to corrupt human beings corrupt mankind we see that we've seen that through the years the corruption of the religious of of the of the of the left uh politically in this nation where where you know we just embrace all kinds of weird ideas and and sins etc but now we're also witnessing how the enemy has tricked the the the, the, the religious right the, the political right and they've been tricked to where now they think they can have Christian nationalism and build some sort of Christian nation. And some of them have a corrupt because some of them are now have become uh, willing to just lie and deny in order to seize power. And we're backing people that have no uh, shred of moral uh, fiber in them, and yet we'll back them anyway. And so we're willing to deal with the devil so we can overturn one law. But remember, if you made that deal with the devil, you get you got the law overturned. But now, you, the bill's going to come due. The, the piper has he's played the flute, he's danced, and now the bill you're going to have to pay this bill. So, as believers, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. That's where we should be looking towards being a part of the upset kingdom. Now, what is this kingdom like? What are some of the, you know, people are some of kingdom principles. Well, here's a kingdom principle for you. Here's the foundation or the base upon the uh, the Christian the, the Christian life. And uh, one of the theologians of the time, back in the first century, St. Augustine, he wrote a book called The City of God because people were blaming the the church for the fall of Rome said, well, we, we forsook the Roman God. That's why Rome fell. And so Augustine kind of wrote a, wrote a defense to it. And the name of the book is called The City of God. Recommend everybody. If you're in ministry, you need to read that. City of God. But one of the chapters in there, he talks about the heavenly. Listen to what he wrote. Accordingly, two cities have been formed by two loves. The earthly city by the love of self, to the contempt of God. That's every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue on earth. Every nation, you name it, it's about the love of self. 
even to the contempt of God. The heavenly city, which is the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones, and those through the age uh, of, of the nation of Israel who were true followers of God. We're talking about true believers here. But the heavenly city, we are motivated by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. See the contrast here? The earthly one, you love self. You have contempt towards God. In the heavenly one, our citizenship, because it's in heaven, we love God, even to the contempt of our own selves. We put God first. And that doesn't mean I just go to church, and I, and, or first thing I got up in the morning, my knees hit the ground, I prayed, and then I can live anywhere I want after that. That's not putting God first. That's your own self-interest. You got up and prayed and because you wanted God to, be, to make your plans and your wishes fulfilled for the entire day. That's all that is. The former in a world, the city of man, in a word, glories in itself. In the city of man, you glory in yourself. But in the city of God, you glory in the Lord. So you put the love of God and the glory of God first, if you're kingdom, children of the kingdom. The city of man, the ones that human beings built, the governments that man builds, they seek the glory from men. We want to see the glory of men. We want men to respect us and look up to us. First you get the money, you get the power, then you get the respect. Money, power is the key to life. Money, power, respect will keep you eating right. Now you see the light, right? Great theologian wrote that, one of those hip-hop artists. By the love of God, even to contempt itself, the former in the world glories in itself, the latter in the Lord. For the one sees glory from men, but the greatest glory of the other is God and the witness of conscience. The one lifts up his head in his own glory. The other says to God, you are, the, you are my glory and the lifter of my head. In the one, the princes and the nations, here, check this out, the princes and the nations, it subdues and the other nations that are subdued are ruled by the love of ruling. They just love ruling. But in the other, the princes and subjects serve one another. See that? In the kingdom of God, the people who are in leadership serve one another in love. That's how it works. So I'm the bishop, I'm the apostle, whatever title you want to give me, that the people are giving themselves these days. My goal is to serve the congregation and the people that I'm leading them, not to lord it over them. Because I like to rule. I want to be the boss and tell everybody what to do. But I'm there to serve one another and love because I love them. I serve them and vice versa. They serve me. We serve one another. Uh, Warren Wiersbe has a good thing called, uh, a good series called One Another. Love one another, you know, pray for one another, etc. In love. The city of man will obey take thought for all so on one hand the leader in the city of god we take thought for everybody we're looking for what will be in the best interest of the whole good leadership by the way always takes in consideration what's the best for everybody involved not just for me or a handful of people but this group over here versus that group the city of man they boast about their own strength and their super weapons That's my emphasis thrown in there Represented in the in his persons and his rulers, 
for others to say, but in the city of God, we say, I love you, O Lord, my strength. And therefore the wise men of the one city living according to man have sought for profit to their own bodies and souls or both. Everything they do is for, the, is to, is for their own profit and for themselves. And those who have, but those who have known God, we glorify, we glorify God. But in the city of man, they don't glorify God and they're not thankful and become vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts become darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, that is glorying in their own wisdom and being possessed by pride, they became fools and changed the glory of incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. For they were either leaders or followers of the people in adoring images and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. But in the city of God, there is no human wisdom, but only godliness, which offers due worship to the true God and looks for its reward in the society of the saints, of holy angels, as well as holy men, that God may be all in all. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? I'm telling you what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a city whose designer and builder is God and has its foundations there. That's what I'm looking for. All right. Before we close this, uh, this here out, I just want to mention to everyone why I do what I do. Growing up as a young man, I got saved at the age of 10. And all growing up through those years, I watched these uh, black exploitation films. And, you know, you see on certain episodes of Good Times where the church is always ridiculed. Where you had either the pimp and the priest or the preacher, pastor. And they were no different. They were hustling the people. And that's all, you, and that's all people were seeing in our communities. And I decided that I was going, when I went into the ministry, I was going to be a different kind of preacher in the sense that I was going to preach the gospel, whether people, whether I make money or I don't. And, and yeah, I preach a lot of places and sometimes they take a, a love offering. That's fine. Uh, on the other hand, sometimes I preach places and I've done it for free. Uh, this podcast uh, I'm doing this uh, this is a labor of love for Christ and that's my motivation but then the false prosperity gospel comes along later on that was the 70s which is black exploitation and the false gospel comes along the word of faith picks up steam it was around then but it picked up steam in the, in the 80s and really took off and actually late 70s and it, it exploded in the, in the, in the 80s and that's because a lot of people who grew up in poverty were finally being told God wants them rich. Well, who doesn't want to hear that, right? And so they flooded into these schools and then they came out and started opening churches all over the place. And then now that false teaching has tentacles has reached into every church and denomination, uh, practically speaking, particularly in the charismatic churches, but it's even into some of the evangelicals. But it doesn't really matter, the label. It's here. It's a false gospel. But if you grew up in poverty and, and, you know, who doesn't want to be rich? Who doesn't want God to give them money? All right? Who doesn't want that? And that's why I teach the way I teach. That's why I come at it hard. 
because I want to preach the true gospel. And I realize that I'm, I'm one against many. I'm outmanned and outgunned on every level because for one message I can give is about 65,000 of those crazy messages that you're going to hear. And no, I alone am not left. There are others who are preaching a, a solid gospel. So that's why I do what I do. And somebody said, oh, you sound like this guy or that guy. And I said, yeah, because they, like me, I, some of the people I sat under were the same way and ministries that I've been under. And But I'm not copying them. I want to make that clear. Um, this is who I am. I would have been this way whether I sat under them or not. But God, in his mercy, put me around people who were serious about the about the preaching of the word of God and the truth of God. Were they perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. But having said that, one thing that you're going to get here is the gospel. Uh, without the nonsense and the fluff and the foolishness. No theatrics here. Just plain, straight word. Something to help your soul to grow and to mature in God. We're not here to play games. We're not here to build an empire other than the kingdom of God. That's And that's it. That's what we're here for. So God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate everyone who listens to it. If you want to do a free will offering, that's fine. Not a requirement. And that's all I'll say about that. This podcast is going to go on. Rich or poor, broke or not broke. God bless you. Stay strong. And let's look for that city whose builder and maker is God. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Sword and Spirit. I appreciate everyone who takes the time out to listen. Please pick up some of the other podcasts. Don Hill, the conversation with Don Hill, the Love Subscribe. She's got a powerful ministry also called The Love Subscribe. It's a blog, and she's also on Spotify and on YouTube. That's Don Hill, The Love Subscribe. Click like and support her, her ministry. She also, like me, has the Cash App and also has the, uh, where you can donate uh, to that ministry as well. So, by all means, feel free to do so. And you say, Don, are you encouraging people to support other ministries? Yes, I am. Because when I find good word, good stuff being preached, that's where you pump your money into. And she does an excellent job, awesome research. Also, in addition to that, uh... Lael Divine has a book out, and it's called Love Back to Life, and it deals with her experience of having gone through, being growing up in the church and being done, and being involved in ministry, then getting pregnant, and how God helped her to recover from that. Yes, saints, there is recovery. It's not the end of the world. There's recovery. We sin, we mess up, we make mistakes, and there are many people out there I know who have done, who have done certain similar things. She has a book out called Love Back to Life. Please listen to that podcast and she'll tell you how to have it. How way you can get a copy of that book. If not, if you don't know, then write me at rhyd2001 
at gmail.com rhyd1001 at gmail.com and uh, she will I will be able to get from her so get with her so I can uh, let you know how you can receive a copy of her book also uh, some great missionaries uh, Dave and Pam Lovett Pam Lovett has a book out called Kickapoo to Katmandu I also did an interview with her as well and by the way all these people I interviewed but you want to go and get a copy of her book from Kickapoo to Katmandu same thing there if you listen to the podcast you will at the end that she tells you how to get a copy of the book and if you don't have one then by all means uh, you can reach out to me and I'll let you know how you can get a said copy of the book excellent book Kickapoo to Katmandu is it, it, a chronicle of their journeys uh, bringing Christ to the world. These are people that I'm naming here are people that are real Christians. No fake, no foolishness. No getting filthy rich and telling you that God's going to bless you if you bless them. If you sow a seed here, God's going to do something. You sow a seed here in this ministry here, I don't know what God's going to do. I'll pray for God to bless you and to, uh, and yes, give you a return on your investment, so to speak. But that's about as far as that'll go. I, but I can't tell you what God will do. And sometimes God may bless you with good health. I mean, it's not always finances. But it doesn't mean you won't go through anything. God has a plan to build you up, and you're going to go through whatever it is God has laid out for you. Go through. I don't care how much money you give to whom. So keep that in mind. Also... Chad Mansbridge, an Australian pastor. This guy was, I love this guy. He wrote a book called um, You Can't Handle the Truth on How to Understand the Bible. And the name of that podcast is You Can't Handle the Truth. Please get yourself a copy of that book. Also in there, he tells you how to get a copy of it. I believe you can get it from Amazon. I believe it's also on other platforms as well. But you may want to get yourself a copy of that book and uh, dig into it. So God bless you. I thank you all very much. I appreciate everyone who listened to this podcast. I will this podcast as long as I have breath and I'm still living. We will be doing more podcasts. They're coming. And I'm in this to leave something here in this world that will be able to be beneficial to, to the listener. Not saying that you have to agree to everything I say, but create some conversations and rethink some things perhaps. And open the Bible and see it the way God intended us to see it. And really get the, 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 the full rich benefit out of the word of God. And that's what my desire for everyone who listens here. And so like I said before, thanks for listening. Can't thank you enough. To God be the glory. May Christ be the one that's glorified. And be blessed, saints. Be blessed.